0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Arash's World. Today, we have a special guest, Laura Connell. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. And so how would you briefly introduce yourself? What would you focus on? What would you tell our audience here about yourself?
1: Yeah, I would call myself a trauma-informed author and coach. And the author or writer part, I've been doing all my adult life so I have articles in the nonfiction uh, personal development genre spanning the last two decades and all sorts of print and website media everywhere um, and more recently in the last three years I have focused on the childhood trauma aspect of personal development and how that relates to self-sabotage, like I talk in the book. So how it creates these outcomes in our adult lives that are really holding us back. And because they're subconscious, we don't know why. So that's been the focus. And I started coaching people based on that premise, people who grew up in dysfunctional families, and as a result, are struggling in their lives in the various areas of their lives. So I help them with that. But I continue with the writing. And this book is just the latest example of that.
0: Wonderful, yeah. So the book is it's not your fault. The subconscious reasons with self sabotage and how to stop. Um. So it, that's that's one thing. We often when it comes to blaming, we blame ourselves. We think we deserve some of the things that happen to us, and, and 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 that's not the case here, especially. And but I also like your focus on the subconscious reasons because that is something again trauma informed uh, practitioners look at. Uh, it's like the the part that is not accessible to our reason, right? But subconscious reasons here that make us do certain things and we don't really realize it. And then also self-sabotage. And uh, I will have uh, examples of that too myself, where you become your own enemy, which is really unfortunate, but there is a way out of that, of course, and how to stop. I and mean, that's really important too. Like right? We need the guidance, like, what can I do about it? And so, yeah, what would you briefly say about this?
1: yeah well the reason i wrote the book it was really a response to the literature already out there on self-sabotage because i'm not the first person to write about self-sabotage but what i've noticed is that it does tend to say it is your fault Mm -hmm. like that's sort of the message behind it even if they don't say it out loud and sometimes they do actually say it out loud if it's more of a tough love kind of thing But I just felt like all the sort of policing your thoughts because you mentioned the subconscious where our thoughts can't get to right away and then the behavior modification. I had tried all that myself for many years before and I found it was a very short-term solution. So it tended to work as long as I was policing myself, as long as I was behaving perfectly, watching myself but that wasn't sustainable to me because that wasn't a true change inside of me. That was just me making sure I acted in a certain way. So until I learned that this stuff actually is deep and it stems from childhood and we are not our own worst enemy. We are in fact trying to protect ourselves, but the way we're doing it is very maladaptive because it started in childhood To deal with the things going on in the home. And it's an immature child who is still trying to help you as an adult. So it doesn't have the coping skills it needs to actually help you. It's got short term solutions. It's got these ways to keep you safe when you're in the fight or flight response. So you're not in your rational mind. You're just literally trying to stay alive in this moment. And so that could even be like an addiction. That can be a self-preservation technique because if you're feeling pain if you're feeling emotions you can't handle taking something for that or even a behavior like shopping that makes you feel better that's the short-term solution that this little part of you is using to help you but in the long run it's sabotaging you so there's an example of what we're dealing with
0: yeah, and absolutely. And so, so when we look at behavior modification, that's as you're saying, and a lot of people are saying well, I want to lose weight and it doesn't work out. When I want to do this, it doesn't work out. And I think that's again the, the issue here because mostly we look at it on, on a rational level, but it's irrational. And this is part of us that is beyond our control. And when we try to control it, we often make things worse. And that's why I'm not a big fan of like affirmations where people say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to be better today, and so on. Because we're not getting to the the root issue, what is causing the problem? And that's the stumbling block. And the, 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 the idea is also when when with Cbt it would be there's something wrong with your way of thinking or of seeing the world and so on well uh, not necessarily if if you look at it 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 is the natural outcome of the experiences we've had and what what I what I really like about uh, your case too because you you're talking about lived experiences too it's something that you can relate to instead of somebody who's just studying it from outside and does not have recourse to all of this so you know what you're talking about
1: Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And that is another reason I wrote the book, because one of the things I like about it and about the work I do is that people say it helps them feel like they're not alone. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the self-help or the self-sabotage literature has been written by people who maybe haven't gone through these things. They might be clinical psychologists who have studied these things and treated patients who have gone through these things, but that's not the same as going through it yourself. And that's not to discount what they've done, because in the book, I use tons of research that other people have done to back up what I'm saying. But then I add to it my personal experience, which if you feel embarrassed about your self sabotage, you can read my book and see what I've done to myself. And you don't have to feel bad because you probably I probably done worse than you, you know, and I came through it. So it's both of those things. I wanted to give the education and then also the feeling that you're not alone. And what you said about affirmations, I really concur with you. I am not a fan of those. They never worked for me. And it's interesting because there's even a study that shows that they don't work unless you already have a positive self-image. So once you get to the point that you do have that positive self-image, then they're going to work for you and make you feel even better. But if you don't have that, and you're trying to just fool yourself into thinking you're great, and you're wonderful, which you are, but -hmm. you don't believe it deep down inside, then it's going to have the opposite effect, which is interesting, it's going to actually make you feel worse. So that's why your intentions and what you want for yourself, they are—they don't mean anything in the face of the subconscious that is running like 99% of what happened to you is a result of what the subconscious decides and that's the stuff that you can't see. So that's why you can just keep doing the same things over and over to yourself and not knowing why. That's the reason.
0: Yeah. And I like to focus on yourself. You need to change within yourself, not just changing your behavior. That's superficial. But when you change from the inside and you come to value yourself, then the the affirmations, of course, will work because then you are in tune in, in, in alignment with that. But um, it is not a lack of willpower because uh, a lot of people have the willpower and they have the discipline but it's not working out. So I like it how the focus on the self-knowledge because once you get to realize and look at yourself and see everything, once you understand what's going on, the unconscious, the subconscious that's working here, then you can do something effectively. And I, I my, for me, my experience was that I lost a lot of weight because I realized what the issue was. And it wasn't just following a, a diet or anything. It was finding out why am I, eating too much, emotional uh, overeating, and what to do about it. And I found intermittent fasting, which which worked perfectly for me because it had that kind of level of also I am in control to a certain way. I'm not being driven by the uh, subconscious. And I think one thing that people may, would help maybe for them to understand is like this, this undercurrent, this programming that is going on in, in the back that is running things. And unless we do something actively of changing that programming, we will keep repeating the same things, the same mistakes, the same that suffering and so on. And so I think that's why the subconscious is so important.
1: Absolutely. And you mentioned willpower. That's such an important thing, too, because a lot of people don't resonate with the books that say you need more willpower because most of us have a lot of willpower. You know, those of us who have been through this childhood trauma We might even have more willpower than the average person. You know, when I was at the height of my addiction, I was running marathons. I had two babies and I lost the weight within three months because I was so strict on myself. So I had no lack of self-discipline or willpower, but that didn't stop me from sabotaging myself. So it is not a matter of willpower. You're right. You know, our willpower can only get us so far And then once that runs out, we go back to the old patterns because that feels natural. And the (laughs) CBT too, Mm -hmm. that you said, CBT can be great. Like I'm not against it by any means and it's helped a lot of people, but I just think it's the time that you take it. I think before you do the CBT, working with someone trauma informed might help you with a more somatic approach. Because I knew a CBT practitioner and he said it's all from the head up, like it's just or the neck up, he said. And what we actually need is from the neck down when we're coming from this trauma response. So once we get that nervous system under control, then I think CBT might be helpful.
0: Yeah, and in, in in all fairness, they are looking at the subconscious too more and more because before they they would say the unconscious does not exist, and now there's like yeah, it does influence us, and they are kind of looking at it. I, but I don't I, I don't think enough. I think that needs to be addressed more. And so because when we have these experiences, I want to look at childhood specifically because we're so vulnerable at that stage, and that's the inner child. And so before we can even express ourselves so th- these emotions these like strong emotions stay with us and so um for example even the act of birth when you come to the world you have no idea what's going on you have no reasoning you have no language skills you're trying to figure out what is going on i was safe and warm and and look everything was fine a moment ago and now suddenly it's all of this and so i think these are traumas too and they're That affect everyone that stick with us. And then when we add to it other experiences that people go through dysfunctional families and so on, it just builds up and I feel that we don't really address that enough to 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 release those those tensions that are exist that exist with us. At any age, and I know people who are, again, the the inner child always exists. No matter, you can be retired and you can be like a a professional, you could be a politician, you could be a psychologist. But the inner child, Mm -hmm. many people, I feel exists unless they really do something about that.
1: Yeah, the inner child is the one who is trying to protect you and using these very maladaptive coping skills to do it. And that's what looks like self-sabotage. And that's why it's so confusing. How could self-sabotage be myself trying to protect me? But that's exactly what it is. And it starts in childhood because the child discerns that its caregivers, whether it's parents or other caregivers, are not really there for them. They're not getting their needs met. So the inner child is the one who should be, like in a healthy household, that child is going to be playful and curious and exploring the environment, figuring out who you are. Your sense of self is going to develop. Your parents are going to give you age-appropriate tasks to help you mature. They're going to teach you how to deal with your emotions. They're going to show you how to make your way in the world. So if you grow up in a household where you get none of that, where you're either ignored or abused, or maybe you're shown that emotions have no place here. So I have to hide my emotions, I have no way to deal with them. I'm not allowed to have boundaries. Because if I don't please these people, I'm going to get rejected. I'm a little child, if my parents reject me, that literally feels like death. So that's where the nervous system gets hijacked, fight or flight comes in when you feel like you're going to die quite literally. So that goes on over and over again in these households. So you're in this perpetual state of what we call hypervigilance. And so you're defending yourself against threats. So instead of that inner child I described that's having fun, being playful, exploring, exploring, It has now become very rigid, very controlling. It wants to know how everything is gonna turn out. It wants to keep you safe from harm. And it thinks that not having boundaries is how to do that because then you won't get rejected. And that's why boundaries is a big one. Even as an adult, if you feel like setting boundaries sets your heart racing and it makes you shake even, sometimes when people have to set a boundary, their, their voice shakes and they're shaking. That's because you're in that nervous system hijack. The inner child is feeling like, even though you're an adult, it's having that same feeling it had as a child when it was trapped and it couldn't set boundaries, but it couldn't run away. It's that same feeling because the nervous system doesn't know time. It doesn't know that you're an adult now with resources, that you're not going to die if someone rejects you. So part of the work is just letting that child know that I'm a grown up now, I'm going to take care of you. And thank you for taking care of me all these years, you did the best you could with what you had. But now I'm a grown up, I have resources, I have a job, I have, you know, uh, kids of my own, maybe I have friends who can help me if I need I have finances. So just showing it that it no longer needs to protect you in this way, it can kind of relax and you will be the adult now.
0: Yeah. And it really comes to accepting and valuing yourself because I think with people pleasing, that's something that and and not setting boundaries is because you want the other to accept you. And you say, if I please them, they will accept me as a friend. Or even at the job, you see them, like you see maybe your bosses as parental parental figures and you say, they're the authority and I have to obey them. So if they criticize me, they must be right. And that's where the self-sabotage comes in. Whereas sometimes it would ask like, whose side am I on? I'm always on the side of the other and not myself and wait a minute there's something wrong there and unless you really like come and accept yourself set those boundaries which is hard to do i mean especially i think you maybe want to start slow but just an occasional no here and there uh no thank you right and even though it feels awful just going through that and then you can you can widen the horizon where it's more in tune with in alignment with who you are and what you feel like And that's another thing, Mm -hmm. as you're saying, because we feel our our feelings are not validated or they're not valid. And we we want to validate them by having it externally accepted by others. And that is just chaos.
1: Mm -hmm. That's such a great point about the external validation. That's where a lot of us are coming from. And a lot of the reason for that is that our sense of self didn't really get developed. Mm -hmm. Again, with that childhood or that household that didn't encourage you to be yourself. In fact, it encouraged you to not be yourself. It really encouraged you to just cater to other people and what they wanted. Mm -hmm. So you take that out into the world and you have this really external focus And you, in fact, try to form a sense of self out of what other people say about you. So instead of having that solid like this is who I am, these are my values, this is what I stand for, this is what I tolerate and I won't tolerate, you're almost like an empty vessel that's trying to get filled up by other people and things outside of you. And you probably notice that it doesn't work, right? It does feel like an empty pit. And the truth is that you can only give that to yourself. And that may sound really hokey, or it may sound like it's not accessible right now. Because when you don't have that self-esteem or that sense of self, you don't even know what you're drawing from. But like you said, it does start with saying no once in a while. And even before that, it can start with even what do I like and what do I not like? Because that can even be foreign to you if you've never been asked, you know. And so you might have the experience or your viewers might have the experience of um, being asked even to go out for dinner. And you can't think of anything because Inside, you're trying to figure out what they want. You know, you might be so used to just externalizing. Think, well, I can't say I got to figure out what they want. And again, this can all be subconscious. So, learning on a sensory level what you enjoy can really help you set those boundaries because it's the first step to knowing actually what you like. And what you like is a big part of who you are. You know, your tastes are a big part of who you are. So, then you start saying yes to things that you like. And no to things that you don't like. And Mm -hmm. this is how we get closer to who we really are. And this is why when you don't have boundaries, it is literally impossible to have an authentic life.
0: You don't have an identity in that sense, you know. And I think it's ironic because we say that's the main thing. We say be yourself. But then we're not encouraging that. So it's like kind of a double standard. And it just like seems like again ironic and I think what what you're saying absolutely what resonates with you what is it that I like what type of food do I like not what the other person likes and then try to 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 start off with that and i think another thing that has worked with me is doing the negative way of deciding what don't i like and kind of eliminate stuff and then get to the core and i give the example of like you have this like mass this blob, and you're trying to make a sculpture you take away all the stuff that isn't you and then you get to this beautiful image that is the sculpture itself i think that's maybe another way of like You know, I am not my my parents, I am not their expectations, I am not uh, what my spouse is thinking of me necessarily, right? So it's kind of to sift through that and uh, to get to to a core where it's like, oh, okay, this is more like me. And that's not limited. I mean, that's still fluid and so on. But like you're saying, it includes values, it includes likes, dislikes, and so on. And it's perfectly fine. So you don't have to justify it either to, to others. If this is how you feel, that's fine of course you want to also include logic in it right just to make sure you have that balance but i think that's one way of, of finding yourself what, what would you recommend as well
1: yeah i love what you just said it kind of reminded me of what michelangelo said about his statues because yes, he exactly. said that he just took away, just away the yeah. stuff he didn't <laughs> need that's yeah. a very good analogy And it can be easier when you're first working this stuff out. A lot of people who go into recovery, including myself, we do feel like it's just a stripping away Mm -hmm. of everything that's not us. And then it's a rebuilding, Mm -hmm. you know, from scratch who we really are. And it's interesting because we talk about getting back to yourself, but this can be, in fact, discovering yourself for the first time. Because if you've never known who you are, this can be kind of almost a rebirth you know you're inventing yourself you're you're finding out who you are and you're not used to that because you're just so used to abandoning yourself and doing what you think other people want whether they ask or not you've been conditioned that way and it's really in you but you can change that and it becomes very exciting you know as the inner child heals people say they feel more spontaneous they feel more curious about life. And that becomes a curiosity about yourself. So when you stop looking outside of yourself for that validation, or that proof of who you are, or whatever, and you look within, you know, I say turn the gaze within, yeah. or there's a Buddhist monk named Thich Nhat Hanh who says the way out is in. I love that quote. And you will see how interesting you are and how endlessly fascinating it is to discover who you are and to ask the questions in a way that are not being mean to yourself. It's this mean inner critic we have that constantly berates us and which, by the way, is that voice of your parents who used to do that to you a lot of the time. So we can transform that critic. And one of the ways is... The critic will ask like why did you do that you know why did you do that again and you transform that by asking the same question but with kindness and curiosity you know you say why did i do that and i really want to (laughs) know you know so this is the discovery and so you say you know i use the example of say you have a lot of negative thoughts and Instead of trying to reprogram them or catch them and throw them away or whatever we're told to do, just look at them and say, you know, why do I have negative thoughts all the time? Why can I be sitting here peaceful and all of a sudden all the negative talks come in? And, or I feel like something bad's going to happen. That's a common one. And we can look at, again, childhood. And if you were disappointed a lot, you know, if bad things happened a lot when you let your guard down, that would make sense that that negative talk would come in to protect you from that disappointment, right? So if it felt dangerous to relax because something bad was going to happen, you carry that into adulthood. So you can see how those inner voices, even though they sound mean, They are also trying to protect you from something. So again, just like realize you are on your own side. You are not your own worst enemy. It just sometimes looks that way. And if you can get to the bottom of that to, you know, kindly ask, why did I do that? And there's usually a reason that goes back to your childhood. And I love inner parts work for this reason, too. I don't talk about it a lot in the book, but there's a psychologist called Richard Schwartz (laughs) who does inner parts work. And it's sort of like inner child work. But he says that we have different parts of ourselves. They're all trying to protect us. But at the same time as trying to protect us, they're hurting us, right? Yeah. But they, they just need reassurance that we're going to take care of them. And you want to make sure with parts or inner child work that you're not telling that part or that child that you want to get rid of it, you know, because mm-hmm. often we want to like, push them away because we think they're not serving us. And that makes them just hold on tighter, right? And keep doing what they're doing because they think you're not safe without them. So you just like, let them know, I'm not trying to get rid of you. I just want you to have a different job. So maybe your job could be finding something fun for us to do. You know, your job could be exploring, you know, just uh, finding a new hobby for us, something that makes life enjoyable.
0: Yeah, and so when we look at science, science tells us we're unique and we have evidence for that, our DNA. And so even like twins, identical twins are unique in their own ways. So the same applies to our mind and our being and our soul and everything is unique. And so once we see that, we realize we're going to contribute something that no one else has ever contributed if we get in touch with that. But we often go on survival mode because we are conforming with others. We're not even exploring that uniqueness, we just become like like robots in, in many cases, because we're afraid. And I think that's one of the things for me is being afraid, being worried, and so on, which has that, that uh, the origin, again, from childhood. But once you can really deal with it and accept it and feel it and go through those emotions, not, not shunning them, not, uh, not uh, controlling them, or anything like that, but actually deal with them they do go away. And then once they do, then you you're not, um, you don't have catastrophic thinking anymore. Like you, if you get a mm-hmm. phone call, it's not Oh, my God, now, like, it's, it's going to be bad news, or somebody's knocking at the door, it's like, Oh, I'm in trouble, or it's no, because then you say, I'm curious to see now, who is it gonna be? Who's uh, who's calling this late? It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. an emergency, and so on. So I think that kind of tension goes away. And then we can relax and be more spontaneous, as you you said um, at the beginning. Exactly. Because then we can be ourselves and we know we can handle things. Even if it's bad things, we can handle it.
1: Yeah. And that telephone one is such a good example. I'm sure many of us think we're the only ones that when the telephone rings, we think we're in trouble or we panic. (laughs) That is so common. It's very common. So you're not alone there. And yeah I love that you talked about the survival brain because I remember watching this psychologist called Dr. Jacob Ham and he has a YouTube channel mm-hmm. and it was just a 5 minute video on the survival brain and how it works and how it's different from what he called learning brain and it is just how you described it's very rigid it's very controlling it's designed to keep you safe It does not want to test things out or try new things. It's afraid of looking stupid. It just Mm -hmm. wants to get things over with. So if you have the feeling like you just want to get things done, you can't stand having any loose ends or you can't stand not knowing the outcome of something, that was a big one for me. That is your survival brain trying to keep you safe. But as you heal that inner child, you're going to move into the learning brain that is more open to exploration, that allows for freedom and spontaneity in your life. And like you just said, is not thinking that the phone call is going to be something terrible or that I'm in trouble You know, every time someone wants to talk to you, you might think you're in trouble. Like this is just, again, going back to childhood and you don't even know why, even though there's no reason for it, because when you were a kid, there wasn't a reason for it. You never knew what you did wrong. Right. You still feel that. When you heal that inner child, that's going to change. And a phone call will just be a phone call. The phone ringing will be nothing more. If anything, you'll just be like, oh, it's probably a telemarketer or something like that. Exactly. You know? yeah, most most <laughs> of the time it
0: is. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I think also one term that I like is, is, is flow. And that's like it's coming to focus in psychology of being in, in, in flow and going with the flow and like accepting that. And that seems to be uh, the opposite seems to be control because that is a lack of flow. When you're trying to control, that's very rigid and close-minded and so I find people and that's been my experience people who are controlling or try to control usually don't have much control in their own life so they're kind of trying to externalize that and would you agree with some of that too it's like that it's that that lack of control whereas if you are in control with yourself and so on then you'll go with the flow when you say well okay I'm fine with this or I'm fine with that does that make sense yeah, being
1: in flow is t- certainly does and being in flow i also think about either a hobby or something you do for work that puts you into that mind state where time just flies right yeah yeah and that can be a rare feeling for someone who's overcoming this type of trauma or dealing with self-sabotage you might almost never have that wonderful feeling of not being self-conscious that's really what flow is we're not self-conscious We're just in this state where it's almost like a suspension of time. And we are just so engrossed in what we're doing. It's like a moment will just, you know, be seem like forever. But at the same time, time will go by really quickly. It's a really beautiful state. And like I said, it can be if you can find work that puts you in that state. That's what I was thinking. Just the most beautiful thing. Yeah. Or like I said, it could be a hobby. And it's really important to have hobbies as well. And when your inner child heals, that's something that you might tune into because a lot of us in this situation with the self-sabotage and the healing, the childhood trauma, we don't have hobbies because it's, it's so hard for us to enjoy things, even things that are meant to be playful we can't relax. So hobbies just become another chore for us, you know?
0: Exactly. Because so. we want to be good at it too. It's like, oh, this is not good drawing. This is not good writing and so on. And I say just like, just do it and relax and whatever it is, it's, you don't even have to, yeah. you're not doing it for anybody else. You do it for yourself and and to, to take that and enjoy that. And as kids, we do that and when we're safe, and we're, we're in a safe environment. And I, I think it's kind of going back to that uh, state, which is natural, it's in our childhood, and uh, we need to do more of that. But we're so over critical about ourselves and everything we do. And I know examples of people who do meditation, and they're like, obsessed with that. And it's like, I did only four days of meditation, I want to do five. That's like, if you do four days, and you like it, that's fine, Why do you want to do more, you know, and mm-hmm. it's not that, it's that kind of, control that is like affecting and it's toxic in many ways towards our, our the things that we really enjoy doing.
1: Yeah, it's true. And the irony is that something that is supposed to bring you peace and relaxation, and that healthy distraction, because we often have those unhealthy distractions, like the Netflix binging and so mm. on. But there are healthy distractions. And that's where hobbies come in. But I think sometimes when we're in this difficult place, we almost say, what's the point? And it's because our self-esteem is so low, we can't grasp that the point is just to make yourself feel better, you know? And so when you're in that low place where your self-esteem is really at a, at a low, um, you can't take that in. You can't take a hobby in as something that's just there to serve you. You still have that, as you mentioned, that need to excel at it or to prove something, and you will find out as you go on this journey that the point is simply to be nice to yourself, to give yourself some pleasure, and you will get there to where that's enough.
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. One uh, uh one the practice I read in, in a book some some time ago I believe was like getting to your subconscious. So one way of doing it, this person suggested, just like just look around and see whatever catches your eye, like without straining, without looking for something specific. And at the time I was still struggling with a lot of issues and I, my eyes fell on a plastic bag. And then I saw the plastic bag flowing across and I was like, okay, this is interesting. Why do I look at plastic bag? And then that's how I felt. I felt that I was being like blown about by others and I wasn't myself. And I was just like floating thing. And I was like, that's okay. That's showing me that there's something wrong. So I need to deal with the negative and negative self image and so on. And then nowadays, when I do it, I see things that is more firmly rooted in things like or even a boat that's anchored. And it's like, Oh, that's interesting. But I think that I found that an interesting way of getting a bit into our subconscious. That could be dreams. That could be thoughts that come out of nowhere. and It's like, what does this mean? I'm curious about it. What does it tell me about myself? Without trying to shut it, is that's again a great opportunity for learning. For me, that plastic back, and it's like ever since then, I, I I haven't focused on that anymore. So I think it's like finding out. It's it's a cool, a cool way. What what would you suggest? What can we do to to get to that subconscious? I that
1: I love that exercise. I feel like I want to try it myself. You but should. That's it's a fun. really yeah. wonderful way to tap into the subconscious and how you got that interpretation. And that's just one example of the beautiful meaning we can find in our lives from these small things, you know, I mean, looking at a plastic bag and realizing all that it has to say about you and to you, you know, you have all that inside of you, all that insight, all that magic is inside of you just waiting to be tapped into. But one thing I suggest is a little more on the sensory level. So I just suggest like a real simple sensory delights inventory. So Mm -hmm. you basically just run through all your senses and I suggest like a list of 25 things, but if you can't get to 25, just as many as you can get to, you know, and um, what do you like the smell of the taste of, to listen to, to look at, to touch and it could be you know, example, I like nice chocolate, I like the smell of lavender, I like a warm bath. And then you just make it a point with your list, you just make it a point to incorporate these things into your life every day. And because they're simple pleasures that anyone can do, but they're things that we deny ourselves again, because we think what's the point and underneath we think we don't deserve it. You might not say that out loud, but that is what you believe. You don't think you're worth taking that extra few minutes for a scented candle and a nice blanket, like even a little nap, you know, like anything that gives you comfort, um, you deserve that. And you start incorporating that into your life. And that really does have an impact on your self-esteem because it gives the message to your brain that you're worth it because you're doing these things for yourself. And they're so easy to do. They might just take five minutes or less, you know, and they're just giving you that signal that, hey, like, I'm worth it. Look what I'm doing for myself. And it's meaningful. That's what I suggest.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And so I want to also look at uh, Tolstoy's uh, quote from Anna Karenina that always uh, stuck with me, especially when we talk about dysfunctional families, because he said, happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. So there seems to be like the dysfunctional family, we need some sort of personalized solution to deal with the unhappiness because we're all unhappy in different ways. And so of have addressing that too. What is it that I need to work on? And I, I find for me was, again, that kind of lack of acceptance and so on, negativity. But then instead of seeing it as something negative, like as you're saying here, I saw it as something positive because I can now deal with this and then I can... Put it away, but like dissolve it, not just like trying to to push it away or hide it under the, the carpet, but actually dealing, processing those emotions. And I think that's been very liberating for me and with fear. And what happens is after a while, the fear just like doesn't, doesn't care anymore. Anger just doesn't show up. It's like, well, you know, I there's no ground here. I can't stay. And I'm not really welcome. I mean, you, you can come in, but they're like, well, what's the point of staying here if this person is not responding to these sensations? And I think that, uh, that mm-hmm. has really worked. But it's, again, everyone finding their own unique way of dealing with their specific uh, um, dysfunctional families, uh, negative experiences, and so on.
1: Yeah. And what you just described there about not sort of when you process your feelings, they go away a lot faster. I think that's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. And I experienced that too. When you suppress anger, it hangs around, mm-hmm. right? Cause it, it's talking to you. It has something to say. And a lot of times what it has to say is something needs to change here. This is not working for me. Yeah. And so as soon as you begin to allow that anger to exist, it can go by as fast as 90 seconds, you know. Now, sometimes it needs more attention, but sometimes it is that fast. Like, it mm-hmm. can literally just go through you, and then, you know, it's not hanging around trying to be heard and making life difficult for you, right? <laughs> yeah. And um Thich Nhat Hanh also had a great quote about, he's the Buddhist monk I was talking about earlier, about how you should entertain your feelings, like allow them into your home, but you don't have to invite them to stay for tea. That's it. <laughs> and that's I think it. that's an interesting one too. So I do believe in um, comforting yourself through your emotions. So when you're having difficult feelings, I don't believe in pushing them away. I believe in giving yourself the comfort you need. Like if a child came to you and was crying, you would give it comfort and you need to give yourself that same comfort instead of saying, stop crying, stop being a baby, right? You wouldn't do that to a child. So don't do it to yourself.
0: Yeah. And also not to take things personally when they're angry. I I think, well, this is their state of mind. These are their feelings and they have reasons for it or they don't, but it doesn't matter. But it doesn't say anything about me. But we also take it very personally. If somebody's angry, it's like, oh, they're angry because of me, because something I did. And in many cases, they're complete strangers, they're random people, so they don't even know us. So, And that's their anger. I think that kind of distinction, the boundaries too, it's like, well, that's your way of being, your state of being currently, but this has nothing to do with me. Instead of taking it personally and then responding to it and making things much worse, I think.
1: Yeah. And it's the difference between in the latter scenario you're describing where we're taking it personally and we're reacting to that person the same way they reacted to us. Those are two unhealed inner children going at each other. And what you'll find is that when you heal your inner child, you still have to deal with other people's unhealed inner children. Right. But you'll be much more equipped to do so. You'll be much more able to give them compassion instead of taking it personally like you said because you'll see that that used to be you like you were there too and you can just give them love and know that it has nothing to do with you just like you said and um you don't have to take that on you don't have to carry yeah. that
0: around exactly yeah, wonderful. Yeah, so Laura Connell, you are a trauma-informed author and coach. The book is It's Not Your Fault, The Subconscious Reasons with Self-Sabotage and How to Stop. Thank you for sharing your insights, for giving us various uh, also practices of, of, of how to deal with that, and for sharing your experiences. It's been it's been wonderful having you here on Rashes World.
1: It's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you so much for this chat.
0: Take care.